Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. Now that spring has sprung, the urge to emerge from our cozy homes is growing. But where do you go when April showers wash out your picnic plans? Our answer, a nice cozy field trip to a museum. But not just any museum or exhibit, Jillian and I scoured the globe, aka Google, for some of the coziest museums and exhibits to visit this spring, and we do mean this spring. Sorry to our future listeners, because some of these exhibits probably won't exist. Some of them even next month, so <laughs> act fast. <laughs> but before we go to the museum, let's get caught up with Cozy in the News. I feel like it's been a minute since we did a Cozy in the News segment. Didn't we do one last episode? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. Well. <laughs> we just got back from our spring break and are recording yeah, this. So I think for us, it feels like it's been a while, but we are refreshed now. I'll kick it off. Our first news story is from our London desk. After being nominated for nine Olivier Awards and winning six of them, including Best Entertainment or Comedy Play, My Neighbor Totoro, the stage play, based on the Miyazaki movie, this fall in November, returns to London's Barbican Theater. The Totoro puppet, in particular, is supposed to be massive and incredible, but you can only see it if you go to the play. They're really guarded. <laughs> I looked through all the promotional materials to find some glimpse of it, and you cannot. It's a huge hit, and hopefully Totoro will take a cat bus to the States very soon. That'd be such a cozy evening in London, a show in the fall, November. Gotta send you there. Go find me. I want to see the neighbor Totoro. Give me your money. (laughs) Well, mine is a little bit related to cats. Exo Kitty. (laughs) 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 The spinoff to all the boys I've loved before finally has a release date and a first look. The movie is told from the perspective of Largene's little sister, Catherine, a.k.a. Kitty, who wants to learn more about her late mom. In Kitty's quest, she discovers her mom attended the Korean Independent School of Seoul on a scholarship, so she applies and gets in. Of course, the other big plot point is young love, and Kitty is determined to reconnect with her crush, Day, who also attends the school. But of course, through the franchise, nothing is ever as simple as it seems. It premieres on May 18th, Netflix, and it's right near Mother's Day, so... It's in, it's in theme with part of the plot. And I love the original series. I believe it maybe have won um, a Cozy Award, if not at least been nominated. So we love the franchise here. So this is one of the few sibling relationships that I find cozy and not annoying because usually the little sibling is, I would say, I don't even say creepy, but <laughs> the little siblings are always just a really odd casting, I find. Um, but I love uh, the the person who, plays Kitty in in the series. So it's going to be really cute. And then also going internationally will be a nice change of of pace and also giving more life to the mom because the moms are always dead in these movies and (laughs) shows. So that'll be a really cozy spinoff, I think. Yeah, I love this franchise. I mean, the first is wonderful. And I'm really glad that we're getting kind of the same characters and tone, but in Mm -hmm. in a new context. Um, with the little sister uh, versus I hate when ser- romance series carry on too long with the protagonist trying to figure out the relationships. Cause a- after a while you're kind of just like, just pick somebody. 
this is, yeah. This is getting too chapter. much. To, to clarify, To All the Boys I Loved Before was nominated for a Cozy Award, um, but it did not win. But maybe Exo Kitty uh, could be nominated and win for 2023. We'll see. Yeah, you never know. It just as a little bit of a, um, I guess let's say we're in the atrium of the museum, getting warmed up to go in. I thought we'd first check in on what is the coziest part of any museum in general. For me, and this is really something you find in particular in natural history museums, it is those animal dioramas. So <laughs> and cozy. look, I, I don't care that they're dead. I know it's taxidermy, but I, I, I love the attention to detail and the kind of escape and this little immersive diorama that you create of like, oh my goodness, it's lions in the Serengeti. <laughs> this is incredible. Um, oh, wow. It's like, and then sometimes they even have like little like mannequins of people like next to animals or they'll put little like field mice in there. Like, like whoever does these is so imaginative and their attention to detail is so incredible. And it's it really is like a frozen zoo. I love them. And for me, they are the coziest part of any museum, in particular a natural history museum, because not every museum obviously has dioramas of dead animals in them, but that specifically is like one thing that I really love. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think the immersive aspect, which you touched on, is so cozy. Really losing yourself in that little small globe of a world and also imagining the person who had the great honor of putting it together. I, I imagine how how they be, even began to sketch that out. What's the process of going in, into that? For me, it's not just the animal dioramas, though. It's just in, in general, whatever it might be. You mentioned people. If it's a recreation of a historical event, I, I mm. want it. The, the, <laughs> the cheesier, the better sometimes. But yeah, even the seasons that are incorporated into these dioramas can be super cozy and beautiful and really capture the essence of a moment um, especially for introverts and quiet kids, which, you know, we both were, um, to just lose yourself in another place is uh, really special. But outside of dioramas, for me, it's the gift shop. And I know there's a lot of controversy over gift shops, the commercialization of museums and of art. But I think it's a really special way to end a trip to the museum, to find a token of that experience that represents something really um, that you loved or enjoyed. So there is a diorama that you really liked. Maybe there's a little, I don't know, keychain of it or something, mm -hmm. just something to take home. I think that's super cozy. And even as an adult, I always look forward to the gift shop, if it's not just even to browse. You're you're in good company here. I Yes, uh, capitalistic instincts aside, I really do love the the kind of stuff you get at a museum gift shop. A lot of it's educational. Much of it is very cute yeah. and nerdy. What better way to remember the learning that you experienced at a museum than with a little memento? In the last few years, I've been very consistent with getting a magnet from any museum that I visit. And it's nice looking at my fridge and, and remembering what I saw there. And it kind of helps keep, the, keep those memories fresh. Exactly. So yeah. I, 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 I too love a gift shop and I always, I always want to buy more than I should. The magnet system has been good for me at limiting what I buy in a gift shop. Yeah. For me, it's been the Christmas ornaments. Same. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It's a really special thing. So there's a, a ton of cozy stuff about museums, which we'll, we'll get into. So our approach for this topic, we really focused on museums that are currently open, that have active exhibits and, and to the extent possible, we really try to focus in on 
exhibits that are currently up. For the most part, we just sort of looked broadly at what exhibits were resonating us that were cozy. And so three of our picks each, there's 10 total, so six of them are uh, general, like either art museums or history museums or science museums that have um, some cool exhibits we want to highlight. But then we also, each of us picked one exhibit from an offbeat museum, something very focused and a little weird off the beaten path. And then we also have a virtual exhibit we wanted to bring to you. And the links to all these exhibits, but in particular, the, the virtual ones that you can experience online, all those links will be in our show notes. So without further ado, let's dive in. Jillian, kick us off. Where are we going to first? We are going to Mass Mocha, so in Massachusetts, and it's E.J. Hill's Break Run Helix. So this is um, less of a traditional exhibit uh, because it's the biggest piece of it is interactive. So there, there is art um, that's, that's stationary we just look at and engage with from afar. But there's also the main piece of it, which is this homemade roller coaster, bubblegum pink. And I'm getting more into the interactive aspects of museums as I, as I get older. So it's a one rider roller coaster. It's very, um, it's not, it's obviously not massive. It's not anything fancy. It's a very classic roller coaster. And one rider, you come through the velvet curtains and you go through this roller coaster, and everyone's watching from the bottom, seeing you go through this experience. And of course, obviously, there's a long reservation list. So if you're interested, you have to book in advance. It's on display through January. Um, 2024. So you do have some time. Essentially, uh, EJ really wanted to hone in on the universal experience of joy and how that is should be an equitable experience because you know in the Jim Crow era. There's a lot of um, gatekeeping of theme parks and amusement parks. So putting the museum space is just that to all kind of come together as universal experience and to transform it into, as the uh, Mass Mocha described it, a shared ritual of joy and terror, but also through the individual lens, which I think is, is really um, interesting. So I don't know if I would necessarily write it. Maybe I would, because I'm not a big fan of roller coasters, but I am very interested in the concept of um, those just universal things that, uh, bring mass groups of people together and I'm getting more and more interested in the concept of amusement parks and roller coasters as I get older because it is such a terrifying thing to me but it really keeps me curious as to um, all the folks who love it or versus all the the folks who don't. Um, So there's a lot of cool YouTube videos online of this just showing the experience if you want to visualize it. Yeah and it's a really beautiful soft pink color so even the colors that are used in the roller coaster are very cozy to look at very unique kind of exhibit where i have never heard of any kind of working roller coaster in in a museum before so this is a really cool art installation yeah for sure it's it's very very classic the bubblegum pink and i i think it's interesting too the concept of people watching you come down the roller coaster it's not multiple you can't ride it with a, another person yeah and so to see that joy like from a, from a crowd watching you go through that experience and it's shared in that manner, 
um, that that back and forth is is a really interesting concept as well. Yeah, it makes me think though about how that even that change in the format where usually that's a communal experience that you are on the ride with other people sharing that moment versus only you having that moment and everyone watching you do that changes the chemistry for me where I would feel very self-conscious on that roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot going on at once with this exhibit. Yeah, but it's sure. already making us think. It's already doing yeah, its, it's job. Yeah, it's making us think. Um, so in terms of cost, 20 for adults, 18 for seniors. I think members go free on Tuesdays, but definitely book your your uh, your ride now because it's filling up and I believe in months ahead of time. So From art to science, my first exhibit that I want to highlight is Narwhal, Revealing an Arctic Legend. And I chose this because, first of all, it's a Smithsonian traveling exhibit. So while it's currently at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport, Iowa, through April 30th. So if you're in Iowa, act fast. It's, it's leaving <laughs> at the end of the month. It will likely be elsewhere. So if you click on the link in the show notes, it will, whenever it's somewhere else, it'll show you where it is next. So it could be coming to a city near you, possibly. But also, I like this as an example of, I love a deep dive exhibit into a specific animal or concept where you really get to learn a lot about something from a lot of different angles. In this case, we're learning about the narwhal, uh, the unicorn of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's that whale with one horn, large horn coming out of its head. But it's not a horn, it's a tooth. And you'll learn interesting facts like that coming from Arctic researchers, but also combines that with traditional um, Inuit knowledge and tales of the narwhal from their perspective. And you can learn about their journey from being a feared sea monster to being a pop culture icon. So this is a very cozy traveling exhibit. And if you're in or around Iowa currently, right now, where it is, it is $9. It's included in the entry to the museum. That's amazing. I don't know anything about narwhal. So it's good for all ages, as you pointed out. I mean, there's just that pop culture aspect and just kids love, you know, things that are, are different. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely a good mix for, for both folks, which I think can be hard with museums to find that adult experience, but also anything that could appeal to children. So this is really adorable. But like also you said, a great educational experience and to go into the work of the Arctic researchers and you know, the Inuit community. It's just, it's amazing. There's a part of it that also immerses you in the sounds of a pod of narwhal in the Arctic. I don't think you could be able to take those headphones off of me, or I think it might be a sound pod area, but that kind of immersive sound installation to like those sorts of elements, I think are really cozy. Yeah. And I like the interactive angles, measure your height against a narwhal tusk. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a lifetime. So actually my next pick is Smithsonian related. Um, it's the National Museum of Natural History in D.C. And the exhibit is called Lights Out, Recovering Our Night Sky. It's on from March 23rd, so just kicked off, until April 2025. So you have a lot of time. And for me, I was drawn to this because love the night sky. Don't get to see a lot of that here in L.A. with the light pollution. But this exhibit is not just about looking at uh, the pretty unpolluted night skies. There's also a deeper meaning to it. And so 
I'm just going to read the description of the exhibit. It sums it up better than, than I could. Artificial lights have become such common nighttime fixtures that we take them for granted. But what do brighter light nights mean for people and wildlife? The effects of light pollution go beyond our diminishing view of the stars, but the solutions can have an immediate impact. Through over 100 photographs, nearly 250 objects, interactive experience, tactile models, and a theater program, um, discover why dark nights matter, rekindle your connection with the night sky, and consider how much light at night is enough, for whom, for what purpose, and who gets to decide. So... I thought it was interesting because obviously sitting here in LA, I'm like, oh, I wish I could just see the pretty stars. But um, it's interesting to consider what do brighter nights mean for us in a, in a larger perspective and what are the benefits of having those dark nights in a larger concept. So there's a lot to look at here, which is great. And I love how it includes all different kinds of experiences because for me, like I said, as I get older, I want that more immersive, interactive experience. So it has it all. But photographs, I'm sure they're gorgeous. Even the example they have on their um, their exhibit page is, is stunning. And this is free, so that's amazing. I'm drawn to the free stuff as well. So go check it out. You have some time to do it. Yeah, this looks wonderful. I love that it, it features different star stories from different cultures. And also, I really want to try the, they have a painting where you can adjust the sky glow. I'm guessing it's Starry Night, but that's, I don't know that for sure, um, to see how it impacts the, the work. And it's also actionable. It provides suggestions for what you can do to reduce light pollution. So I think this is a really great exhibit. And it is funny that we, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that when we were recording, but there's that Smithsonian connection. They're all over the place. Yeah. They, are, they are huge in the museum. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Industry. That's a big giant of that museum world. Yep. For my next choice, uh, we're going to stick with the science angle. and But this time we're headed to New York. We're going to the New York Hall of Sciences, the happiness experiment. This is in Queens, New York. If you've been listening to the show, you know that we did a whole episode where we took a course on the science of happiness. And this exhibit really draws on a lot of the same material from neuroscience all the way to Things you can do practically that make you happy from giving to adjusting the environment around you, um, exercise, things like that. And it's geared toward children. So it's really looking to bring a smile to your kids' faces and get them immersed in an interactive exhibit where they can really focus on the emotion of happiness and how it's not just one feeling. It is personal, unique, and can be experienced at different durations and intensities and Jillian, there's a whole portion of this on color, going back to our last episode. <laughs> oh, boy. How that impacts happiness from science, like how blue light makes us feel more awake. And also is like why people say, you know, don't look at your phone before bed, because chemically speaking, that does keep you more alert at that point. But also you can explore how different colors impact your own emotions. Like you, it's like imagine all these different like big transparent panels of color, like a maze and you can like, you know, take photos behind them or kind of like see the world through that color and see how you feel, like what emotions are resonating with you. And I think that does technically count as a color therapist that just took a course, Jillian and I, I think that does count as color therapy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're experts now. Yes, exactly. Um, there's also, I mean, if for, this is really geared towards kids. So there's a whole like, you know, on the basis that a key part of happiness is uh, exercise and activity. There's a whole obstacle course for kids that you can experience. So it's really interactive and fun. 
it is $13 for kids going to the New York Hall of Science or $16 for adults. Yeah, and I think it's neat too how they can pick up those habits, the takeaway in that aspect where they're also the educational part where like you mentioned, not exercise, but well, in addition to exercise, I mean, those little habits that can, you know, really increase your happiness, which we learned in our, our course. And to start that at an early age is a really neat um, concept that happiness is also actionable and it's not just a feeling and it's, it's tangible. I think that's a really interesting concept to teach to kids at a young age. Absolutely. And I really like the focus on something that matters to each and every one of us, our own personal happiness. Well, it's funny you mention this lovely exhibit that is based around happiness because I'm taking us to We Are Dust and Shadow. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say, this is completely a selfish pick. I wasn't thinking for the greater good. I just was... I was like, okay, we are dust and shadow. What is this? That sounds like, I, I'm interested. You sold me. This, this is very the coziness dramatic. of the brooding energy of, <laughs> this is a rainy day. Um, and Jillian's taking shelter in the Museum of Contemporary Art in Cleveland. Yeah, thank you for just, I mean, are like, what? Okay, Jillian, get out of the dust, get out of the shadow. Yes. And the the plus happy side is, is free to all. And it goes on from, we'll start in January and it just goes on till uh, June 11th. So this was one that you do have to to move on. And so it, this is Sam Fall's first major solo exhibit. And if you ever have experienced those those negative uh, photographs, those prints of uh, flowers or nature, this is somewhat similar, but it expands beyond that. There's paintings and, and sculptures and the Museum of Contemporary Art Cleveland described it as poetic and ghostly works. And it explores the inherent melancholy of nature cycles and finite life. And so, of course, once again, that spoke to me because I'm very interested in the concept of time and how time always is repeating itself and just getting lost into that emotional scope of, of that um, I- idea. And Sam had some really uh, great quotes that to explain his exhibit, and he spoke with Artnet, and he said, I'm trying to embed a sense of, it sounds cheesy, but the beautiful quality of time on earth in that universal way. I'm focusing so precisely on time that it becomes abstract. I'm a very anxious person about time passing and kind of have a big fear of death, but it's nice to do things that remind you of everything but that. And so... On Artnet's site, which you can look at in um, in the show notes, Matt, if you share that. But it's very, there's very beautiful prints. And there's also this really neat sculpture of a white blanket in the middle of a forest. And it collects all the leaves. And it's just a beautiful to visual to see that contrast and just to lose yourself in that. And it's very poetic and beautiful. And I, of course, I love that it's free. And I like the exhibit name. So yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm plugging I, I, this. I really think the focus on nature is very cozy. And these sort yeah. of impressionistic paintings and sculptures of nature to really help us think about the impressions we get from those places, not just the representational aspect of it, but the feelings it evokes. It does sound very uh, foreboding, but it is actually very cozy. This is a good choice. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. It's stunning. It's like watching a poem through art. Well, on the topic of art, why not look at the art of fantasy worlds, of myth and magic? Yep, my D&D and Magic the Gathering nerd (laughs) 
uh, folks, myself included, need a museum to go to too. And this is an exhibit in the Seattle Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle, Washington. Mm. And so this particular exhibit in, so the Pop Culture uh, Museum there has a whole, I mean, it's across the spectrum of pop culture from movies to music. They have a Pearl Jam exhibit happening right now. But this is specifically focused on fantasy worlds. You can pet a dragon designed by the Seattle Opera, explore hands-on installations that include world building and map making. <laughs> is there anything cozier than map making? Uh, no, see I the think cow- this is speaking to you. This is like your <laughs> kryptonite. This is your catnip. Right. See the cowardly lion's costume from the Wizard of Oz, weapon- weaponry from the Lord of the Rings, the first white walker head from the Game of Thrones, and other iconic costumes and props from TV and the silver screen. Most importantly, a piece of this exhibit is dedicated to Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons. So I wow. really want to go here and see all these pieces. The prices fluctuate by day. This has maybe the most aggravating ticketing price of any museum I looked at. <laughs> but it's like sometimes it's $25, sometimes it's $32. Um, their prices are mysterious. I guess book ahead probably get, probably is cheaper the more in advance you buy. But um, if you are in the Seattle area, this seems like a really cool museum to check out. Yeah, what is so special about this museum is that it it bucks a traditional a sense of what we imagine museums to be. Most of my picks were very traditional in the sense of art and, and, and whatnot. And this is art, but it's just a different kind. And the fact that this yeah. kind of museum exists is so special and needed um, because there are so many kids. This is their art. This is their, yeah. This yeah, is their they world. They have a Minecraft exhibit. Yeah, um, it's really think, special. And, and eventually, I mean, as time moves on, those really will become artifacts of culture. Right now, they're popular culture and very relevant, but one day they will be the kind of thing you'll see in a yes. museum. Uh, that's more historical. That's actually a perfect segue into our next group of museums, which are the offbeat museums. These are museums that showcase a very unique concept or do something a little more bizarre or unorthodox. And so, Jillian, what was that offbeat museum that you think our listeners should check out if they're in that area or if they're on a trip that really focuses on something a little weirder, but still cozy. So I went to the Museum of Love in LA, and I just happened to pass it by when I was walking to cat sit at my friend's house. And <laughs> I was like, what is this Museum of of Love? And so I went on the, the website, and they offered this experience. And it's for couples, but you can totally do it with a friend or a family member. There's just some parts you want to probably skip. Oh, a couple's um, connection adventure. I'm looking at the yeah. website now. Did you go with your partner? I did. $68 for two tickets. And so when you walk in, uh, you meet the person at the front and they, you tell them how you, how you met and just the story of that and how you became a couple. And then they interpret it through their lens and, uh, you know, framework, and they write their own little story on a instead of black cardboard cut out of a heart, and they write it down. And then you they read it out to you, and then they you put it on the wall. So when you walk in, there's a huge wall of all these heart cutouts and everyone's stories. So while you're waiting for the other person to other couple to do their story, you can read all of the the different experiences of how folks became couples and how long they've been together i'll admit when i walked in my heart started racing so like what is this i, like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what kind of experience this was because i was imagining it to be a traditional museum where maybe just great romances through history or factoids about love or i didn't know but it's super interactive so after you do that you walk into this uh, room and you watch a video about uh it goes back to greek uh, 
I say myths or um, ideology, but that we're all, uh, there's two, two men, two women, and a man and a woman, they're all connected. And then they, uh, Zeus got mad and split them. To be honest, I wasn't really paying attention. I was just feeling anxiety about mm. <laughs> just like everyone <laughs> listening as I was recounting my, um, you how, know, how big was your group? Was it just your partner and you, or was it like a, a lot of other people being guided at the same time? It was okay. So the, when you watch the video, you're by yourself with your, your partner. And so it's a really interesting experience because the woman is writing the stories, but it's like, Oh, Hey, hold on a second. I have to take this couple into this room where they watch the, 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 you know, the Greek video thing. But there's a point to that because after you watch that video, so, you know, when Zeus split everyone up, that's the concept of you, you're always trying to find your soulmate and finding your, your way back to each other. So, uh, my partner went down one dark hallway. I went down the other, um, dark hallway. And so you're, you then you meet in the, the middle which is really cool. And there's a, a neon sign that I, I sent it to you, Matt. Oh, a meeting of the souls. And so then you go on your experience together. And from there, there's, I think, at least four different rooms. And I have to say, whoever made this and created this museum really went all in with all different activities, but also how it's decorated. Everything was so unique. For example, they had a, a bingo ball machine. You spin it and then you you know, you get your, your bingo ball and then you have the number and on the wall is like a, a magnet with that number and you pick it off and it says, tell your partner the the one time where you felt really loved um, and safe when you were younger, a memory or something like that. So it's really about learning about your partner, um, different games. There's this one game where you had these little scents that you had to smell and you had to guess which would be your partner's favorite sense of the 10 cents. Uh, that was a neat little one. All these different, just little games that you play to learn more about your your partner, connect with them on a deeper level. And it was also uh, some art involved. So they had the, these little wooden hearts. Where you got to paint your your initials on it and hang it up with everyone else's wooden hearts. So like little cute things um, among the other games and experiences. Of course, there's also you know ones that you couldn't do with your friend <laughs> it's like uh, you know there's it's also a sexual element i guess this museum mm-hmm. um so there's different little experiences to do but um it was really neat and special i recommend going when you're early on in your relationship because of a lot of the questions like oh i i knew this already <laughs> we talked about this you know a thousand different times um so i think it's a good experience for if you're one to two years in but we, we took away a lot of mementos, too. And even at the end, they had a cute little um, photo booth that you could cap off your experience. And it was super cute. But they also do have um, little infographics about um, sex and love. And uh, they also had these this little uh, wall where you could pull open a box and learn about the great loves through throughout history or learn a factoid about how, you know, People live longer if they're, how many hugs they give per year, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was also educational in that way. Uh, and another fun one was you were, you pretended you were stuck on a desert island and they recreate it. So it's very cool. So you can go back to those immersive worlds because they recreated a island and they said you can only pick five things on this list and you have to agree with your partner. So definitely interesting um, in that way. It's, 
so many different games. You really get your bang for your buck, I will say. This um, sounds this like museum. an incredible experience and such a great way to learn about and grow with your partner. Um, very personalized and definitely mm-hmm. a unique kind of curated, immersive experience. I really love the idea of this museum. And yeah. the price makes sense now that you're describing what you do in there. It's very personalized. Yeah, and you get a little journal at the end that you can keep. So they definitely make it worth your your while in that sense. Yeah. Where'd you go off to? Well, I also went to a weird place in L.A. (laughs) I guess (laughs) L.A. has a lot of very offbeat, weird museums. Yeah. And so the museum that um, I went to, and I may have talked about it before on this podcast or I may not have, but here it is anyway. It is the Museum of Jurassic Technology. And this is in Culver City. It's a small and enigmatic collection dedicated to the appreciation of the, quote, lower Jurassic. And that is the kind of nonsense term that sets the stage for this wacky cabinet of curiosities you'll experience here. Also, the website doesn't give you anything. It's like an old Yahoo website, which is also part of it. (laughs) Um, it's It's a meta commentary on museums. What deserves to be showcased? Why not the Garden of Eden on Wheels, collections from L.A. area trailer parks? or a collection of oil paintings of dogs of the Soviet space program. But for me, the, the really cozy part of this museum, aside from all these like really fascinating like just things, like there's even pieces of art created with the scales of butterfly wings, like just like really mm. unique and weird stuff, is the Russian-style tea room that's on the top floor that serves complimentary Georgian black tea and cookies that you can enjoy on their beautiful rooftop courtyard, and really process what you just experienced. The price is $12. It is timed entry and should be booked in advance. But if you are in the area, I highly recommend checking this place out. It is a place you will never forget. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I feel like a bad Angelina that I've never been there. And I can't believe that I haven't. But it sounds super cozy and very unique and special. And the fact that you get tea to boot... I mean, twelve dollars yeah. is a very reasonable price. Yeah, there's so so much included in, in such a little package. It's really great. So I, I highly recommend the Museum of Dresser Technology. I've been there personally, and I had a very cozy time. Yeah, great pick. So we're going virtually next to our next. Yeah, logging yeah. into the internet. Uh, <laughs> we're going virtual for our next group of exhibits. So this these are ones that you can experience anywhere. We wanted to make sure we had some things on our list that anyone can experience. Um, so Jillian, what was the virtual exhibit that caught your eye? So this is less of an exhibit and more of an experience, but I guess also it's in, this, in a sense, a kind of an exhibit. It's the Mets 360 project. Essentially, it brings a, a dream to fruition for me, which is being in a museum after hours. So there are all these videos and they've been viewed, I think, 11 million times. They're super popular. And it's just a way to experience the Met and its, its different entities just by yourself in this 360 perspective when no one else is there. In some cases, they had a few folks peppered in. But for example, like the Great Hall and going and seeing it from um, all different angles with this mesmerizing really relaxing music in while in the background it plays. Another favorite of mine was the Temple of Dender. And so you can see it from dawn un, until dusk. And that was really special just to to see that space 
with no with no one in it uh, from morning till night. And if you've never been, it's this really beautiful um, glass, and you can see the the city streets uh, outside of it. And it's it's really cool. It's in the Sackler Wing, and it has this beautiful natural light. So to see that change in real time was a really neat experience. Um, but I think my favorite one was the the Great Hall, just because as the first thing that you you um, experience when you go into the uh, the Met and the Grand Staircase and to see all those big, beautiful flowers that they put together in, in the lobby and to see the folks who get to do that was a really neat experience. They have the Cloisters, they have the Brewer, they have the Charles Englehart Court, um, the Arms and Armor Galleries. And just if you ever wanted to see that, from your own view, very special experience as if you're being treated or spoiled to this space in a 360 view, um, you need to check this out. Yeah, these are really uh, cool videos. And I, I really liked the Cloisters one in particular, having really enjoyed visiting that museum myself in the past. I really like this as even the thing, if you've been there before, getting to re-experience it and kind of jog those memories. I think that really works to solidify some of that be like oh yeah i remember that area that was really beautiful or it kind of brings all those uh cozy feelings flooding back but even if you haven't been there it's a great uh way to experience these spaces from afar yeah to appreciate them from a new lens i know the museums are also supposed to be shared and that's the whole point of them (laughs) a communal experience but i don't know when i was little i always wanted to sneak off and be stay the night and i never got to stay over at night at museum so it it scratches that itch i got to do a sleepover at the Field Museum in Chicago and the Shedd Aquarium. You never forget that experience. 100%, yeah. More museums should do that because it really does bond you to them as spaces. Yeah. Where'd you log on to? I logged on to the Missouri History Museum website. A lot of my family and I also am living part-time in St. Louis. And when I'm in a space like that, I really want to experience all of the arts and culture that region has to offer and... When I was checking out the Missouri History Museum, I was really delighted to see they have a virtual exhibit called Gateway to Pride, and it's an exhibit celebrating the LGBTQIA plus communities that contributed to St. Louis's history. And uh, it's an interactive digital experience showcasing oral history, artifacts, and my favorite part of this is a timeline of LGBTQIA plus uh, history in St. Louis, specifically in Missouri. And I really loved getting to experience that in a local way, because especially as a gay person, you hear all about and learn about all of the work that was done in New York and L.A. Um, in the, by activists. But uh, it's so great to actually isolate, like go to a different city in the United States and see what they did locally to, to do that work. For example, I think my favorite part of the timeline, which I think is, is the best part personally, my personal opinion of the virtual exhibit was a a photo of a female impersonation show at Mabel Thorpe's Cocktail Lounge in the Central West End that was taken in 1936. Another like example of what I learned from this exhibit that I thought was very a very cozy story of resilience was um the chronicling uh, of the impact of groups like Blacks Assisting Blacks Against AIDS uh which is B A B A A or Baba which is very cute. Um, very cute. So in addition to their prevention and advocacy efforts, they started a B-Boy Festival in 1995 that evolved into St. Louis's Black Pride celebration, uh, one of the oldest in the country. 
And so just like stuff like that, that I didn't know that existed in St. Louis and getting to learn about these things in my backyard that were um, incredible. And so and even if you're not from that area or have a connection to it, I think if you want a more specific localized vision or um, information about gay rights and their evolution in the United States, this is a really cool exhibit to experience virtually. And it's free, of course. Yeah, as you were talking, I was looking through the timeline. I agree. I think this is the coolest part of this virtual exhibit. And my favorite thing that I've found is in the 1973 Lesbian Alliance. And this group published a magazine called Moonstorm, which is the coolest <laughs> name for a magazine. And I need to get my hands on a copy. Even the the cover is really cool and neat. And it's a really great digestible way, too, because anything recapping history can feel really overwhelming. So the fact that you can easily scroll and pick out, you know, moments that you want to look at on your own pace and time is really neat and awesome. I guess that's our end of our museum tour. Yeah, our legs are tired. We just walked through all sorts of museums <laughs> all over the country, opening those doors, going back outside. The light is blinding us. For <laughs> We have our gift shop treasures. Yeah, exactly. Our eyes are adjusting to the light and we're in the car going home and we're going to play some soothing sounds. My soothing sound this week is Wings of Time. This is the... <laughs> okay, look, you're sensing a theme probably in like the last like couple episodes, but I was very excited about the Dungeons and Dragons movie coming out. Wings of Time is the song from the movie. It plays over the credits, and it's by Tame Impala. They really did their research on prog rock, kind of that 70s sound that really was emerging, uh, fantasy prog rock specifically, which I think I, I also associate this sound like with like you know people playing D&D in their basement. <laughs> <laughs> or kind of all of those like 70s fantasy movies, or even into the 80s, there's a lot of movies like this. And so it's kind of a, a throwback to those sorts of vibes. And it's a really upbeat song. I think it'll get Jillian up and dancing as she's cleaning her kitchen. Oh, yeah. Um, let, let's see if that's true. Let me take a listen now to Tame Paula's Wings of Time from Dungeon Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Jay was dancing. I was tapping my feet. This is definitely <laughs> a, a song that I will be cleaning to for sure. That's the highest compliment, but it's it's very majestic. Perfect yeah, for this it, kind you of can movie. Just imagine, imagine a Pegasus flying through the air. The, the guitar is so like driving and and just triumphant. And yeah, yeah, it's 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 a victory lap song. And it it really does like get the blood pumping. You're going to get up out of your chair and and get to work. So I really, I really love this song. It, yeah. it, it's a, uh, it's upbeat and positive. Very energizing. Very energizing. I really like it. So my pick is kind of the opposite in, in that way, because uh, it's called tiny things by tiny habits. So we're going from super majestic <laughs> and expansive oh, and so big. small. <laughs> to so small. 
uh, is released March 15th and Tiny Habits is a Boston-based band that's getting a lot of traction these days. They It's a trio. They met at the Berklee College of Music, which I think is very cozy and, and sweet. And this is just a really adorable little bop. So let's listen to Tiny Things by Tiny Habits. How about you and me? Lots of love and tiny things. All we have is all I need. All the love. Well, if, if there ever was a shoe-in for the uh, Cozy Award category for music, this is this would be one of them. This is oh, wow. maybe the most cozy song ever. Even just if you watch the video on YouTube, it's a photo of them looking like the best of friends. I'm assuming it's the band. Um, yeah. that, that's who I was imagining singing while it was happening. Uh, all their voices are are harmonizing. It's a very beautiful, cozy song. I have a, like, This is the kind of song I imagine... I don't mean this as a dig. I mean, this is a compliment that you would hear on a commercial or in some TV yeah. show. And then you just fall in love with it immediately. It's that kind of song. But it's a very, not to go back to the band's name, a tiny, adorable little love song. I think. It really does feel like like friends hanging out and just like making yeah. something beautiful together. I, I, I That is shining through for me. It's a very cozy pick. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, we, I think we nailed Susan Sounds today. You and yeah, I. very different songs, but for different moods, but all cozy, all the same. Yeah. Candle review time. Jillian has her sniffer working in overdrive over there. Tell us what yes. you're burning. <laughs> I am burning a beautiful gift. We are so lucky. Um, our friend Andrea sent us candle from anthropology so pinky up in the air we're feeling very spoiled and um, <laughs> lucky yes thank it's you from Andrea. this company named Alinea. and andrew want to send this because we don't really have a lot of spring candles and this one fits the bill perfectly for one it's called fields and it's this beautiful white uh, candle with light green writing on the, the emblem and Linnea is a company that's woman, all woman owned. And Matt, you would appreciate this, but it's operated in the Midwest. So that's another feather in his cap. <laughs> and the description is bright and earthy with notes of grass, lavender, and hay. This candle is hand poured with soy wax and double cotton wicks, which is always thumbs up. It's clear, clearly really well crafted. And it was, this company was founded in 2000 and nine so i was a little afraid when i saw the the notes of grass because you've known historically here that whenever we have a note of grass it's going to be super overpowering and perfume smelly and when you do sniff the candle in its box it does have that very strong width but i'm happy to report that when you light it it's the most delicate lovely scent and it's not overpowering so this for me is too wicks up or wick up because i i forgot i'll throw, no, I'll throw a wick up in there yeah i can't smell <laughs> it but I, I i like the sound of it yeah yeah it's really high quality you can tell and love the light light notes and it didn't go too heavy when you when you burn it which is really important very important especially with these sorts of scents in particular and it sounds like a wonderful array of smells that you get to enjoy without any allergic reaction, which is wonderful. 
Yeah. So thank you for the spring candle. It's perfect. Now we can add it to our collection and maybe start a competition between our fall and spring candles. Candle face off. Yeah. Well, that would be a good maybe end of the year thing. Yeah. I mean, do. if I kept any of the candles, I'd burn them right through. I'm going to have to rebuy them all. Yeah. <laughs> expensive. It's an expensive, expensive episode idea. All right. That does it for our episode. We hope you enjoyed our trip to the museum. We will be back in your ears in a couple more weeks with a brand new episode topic. Before we go, we do want to shout out. Thank you to Alicia G for becoming a Patreon friend again. We appreciate your support. And you can join her um, in supporting our show by visiting us on patreon.com slash allthingscozy. And of course, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at allthingscozypodcast. Until next time, stay stay cozy. cozy.